Awesome. It is great to be with you today. Thank you, Brother Jerry, for the privilege of uh, getting to speak here at Evangel Assembly this morning. Uh, Pastor Jerry and Miss Mary have known me, uh, as he said earlier, uh, just about my whole life. Um, and I'm really honored to have the opportunity to be here today and to preach for you. They've been wonderful friends to my extended family uh, for many years. Those of you who've been in the church a long time might remember my mom and dad, Nelson and Billy White. Uh, my dad served in the district for many years as the assistant superintendent and pastored a number of churches. And as Brother Jerry mentioned, he, he just turned 90 years old and he continues to pastor uh, in Pickens County, an Assembly of God church out in the woods in Pickens County. And uh, my mom's by his side and they're, she's playing the piano and they're ministering to people. So, you know, you never, you never get too old to serve the Lord. Um, he doesn't know the meaning of retire. And I'll tell you, some, some of the, he will tell you this, some of the most fruitful ministry that he's had in his whole life has been after the age of 70. And I'm so thankful that uh, he continues and my mom continues to be used by the Lord. Um, actually, my dad and I came to this church back in the late, I want to say it was the late 80s. Might have been the early 90s. I believe it was the late 80s. Um, and we played our trombones together. Does anybody remember that? You don't have to lie if you don't. But I don't know if anybody would have been here back in those days. But I believe Brother Robert Goins was the pastor at that time. That was more than half a life ago for me. And I was still a student in college at the University of Alabama. And I was marching in the Million Dollar Band back in those days. So I'm happy to have my wife and children here today. This is Kelly. Uh, Kelly is a woman of God, and she's an anointed speaker. She's actually the best preacher in our house. Um, she loves Jesus in a way that's just contagious to others around her, and I'm so thankful for her. I met Kelly at Kingwood Assembly. That's a good place to meet your spouse, young people, is at church. Met her at church, and... Uh, that was after I graduated from college and I moved up to the Birmingham area back in the early uh, 1990s. She and I have been married for 20 years now, so I'm very thankful that those years have gone by quickly, but they've been good. My daughter Emma is next to her. She's 15 years old and a student in the 10th grade, and my son Joshua's 11, and he's a 6th grader. And Kelly and I are both so proud of them and how they love Jesus and they serve Jesus and they're involved in their church. And, and reaching out to their friends and making a difference. We're all active at Kingwood Assembly where I've served on staff now since 1997, first with Pastor Ron Cox and now with Pastor Jay West. Uh, and of course, y'all may know there's a lot of the Langford crew down at Kingwood and all of them are a blessing to that church. So thank you so much. Before I share our text for this morning's message, I want to tell you, I'm excited to get the opportunity to come back again tonight and uh, preach something tonight that uh, I hope you will find very encouraging. It's going to be deeply personal. I'm going to share a lot of stories tonight and uh, bring a challenge from God's Word. So please come back tonight. Now this morning I'm going to be talking about hope. Um, you know, it was incredibly encouraging to me as we worshiped this morning, I heard the word hope come up over and over and over again in your, in your worship service today. And that was affirming to me 
that when the Holy Spirit leads us toward a theme and a direction, He speaks to the preacher, He speaks to the worship team, He speaks to the whole church and prepares us for that message. We live in a world that is more hopeless than I can ever remember. Life today has become very complicated. Although we have more resources at our fingertips than we ever have before, the pace and the demand of life has increased and it seems like um, the world has gotten more dangerous, more challenging than ever before. In my own short lifetime, I'm shocked at how much our culture has changed. Things I would have never thought possible as a child, problems and questions I could have never imagined, now stare at us in the face every day and, and try to influence the way that we think and the way that we live. Those aren't just winds of cultural change. Those are, those are winds of spiritual change. And I believe that genuine hope, as the Bible describes it, is the stability that God provides for us to stand in the face of these headwinds that blow against us. Now, as I was thinking about hope, a, a simple picture came to mind. And if you'll put that first slide up on the screen. Do anybody know who these guys are? Anybody know? Charlie Brown and Lucy. And I think you know the discussion they're having right now, right? Uh, Charlie Brown is uh, working out what his long-awaited kick of the football is going to look like. Um, Charles Schultz wrote this comic strip, the Peanuts comic strip, for 47 years. So the first time Charlie Brown lined up to kick the football was in 1952. Can you believe that? And can any of you tell me what's about to happen? Let's go to the next slide. Every time, you guessed it. Lucy pulled the ball away. Charlie Brown fell flat on his back. What's remarkable is that this scenario played out in the comic strip and in nine animated TV classics and movies for almost 50 years. And the outcome was always the same. But for Charlie Brown... Hope always sprang eternal. <clears throat> he always believed in two things. Number one, he would eventually get to kick that football. And number two, Lucy would have a change of heart. <laughs> Only hope could make him willing to keep trying, willing to keep embarrassing himself and refusing to give up. You may not know that the last time Charles Schultz wrote, wrote that comic... In 1999, he changes that, that scene. And Lucy gets called away at the last moment. And she asks her brother, whose name was Rerun. She asks Rerun to go hold the football and says, I want you to trick Charlie Brown the way I always have. So when Rerun comes back into the house a little bit later, Lucy says to him, tell me what happened. And he said, you'll never know. So maybe Charlie Brown did finally get to kick that football. <laughs> the Bible has a tremendous amount to say about hope. And I want to begin with a text this morning from the book of Zechariah. And then we're going to pray. Here's what it says. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Say that again. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare 
that I will restore double to you. Let's pray as we get started this morning. Father, we love you today. Lord, we're so thankful to be in your house. We're thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're thankful, Lord, for the confirmation, Lord, of what you want to speak to us today. And now, Lord, we pray that our ears, our spiritual ears, and our hearts would be open and receptive. Lord, as we listen to your word today, we wouldn't think that message is for somebody else. We would instead say, how are you speaking to me, Lord? What are you, what are you telling me, Lord? How are you encouraging me, Lord? What are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to respond to your word today? And I thank you for that today. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. The language that's used by Zechariah for hope is kind of shocking to my senses because we associate words like stronghold and prisoner with negative connotations. But stronghold here is not talking about a demonic stronghold, but rather about a place of safety. And prisoner is not talking about someone who's being punished, but rather someone who's being guarded and protected. Now, I don't attend this church, but I feel certain based on what I know about Evangel Assembly that this is a safe place. By Zechariah's definition, this church, not the building, but the people, this church is a stronghold, a fortress in, in some versions of Scripture. So a stronghold refers to the context of relationships among the body of Christ. Do you have relationships within your church? Have you made the effort to try to cultivate the kinds of Christian relationships and fellowship that have become life-giving to you and are life-giving through you to others? For those who've made the effort to know and to be known in this church, you are what Scripture calls living stones that have been joined together. That's the stronghold where you are the safest. Scripture makes very clear the idea that we cannot function if we become isolated from the body of Christ. You know, statistics now tell us that the frequency of church attendance on average for people that go to church, it used to be four Sundays a month. It's no longer four Sundays a month. Now a faithful person goes to church one to two Sundays a month. I hope that isn't true here. But one to two Sundays a month. People are busier. They travel more. They're more invested in their kids' activities. They're more caught up in outside pursuits. They want to go to the lake. They want rest from a, a, a busy work week. Many of these things happen on Sundays. American culture once honored at least the idea of the Lord's Day. But now our culture unapologetically claims Sunday for all kinds of trivial activities. A few months ago, we had finished our early service at Kingwood and I had to leave the church a little early to, to head to a ministry appointment. And as I traveled down Alabama Highway 119 past Veterans Park, about 1045 in the morning... I was shocked as I looked out on that park and there were cars parked all the way to the edge of the road and little boys wearing their baseball jerseys 
were, were headed in with their bats and their gloves at 1045 on a Sunday morning. I guess I just didn't know. Um, I, I've spent practically every Sunday morning of my life in God's house. Many of you have. So I didn't really understand until I saw it with my own eyes how easy it's become, not just for those who are lost, but for those who belong to God to forsake the assembling of themselves together. Now, I don't believe that just going to church means you're automatically filled with hope in every situation. But I am confident that getting isolated from the body of Christ will guarantee that real hope is absent from your life. And what about this verse calling us prisoners? Are we prisoners of hope? Are we chained to hope? Are we dragging it around into every situation that we face? A, a, a prisoner is held captive. Are we captivated by hope that we have? Suddenly being a prisoner doesn't sound so bad, does it? We're all born with a predisposition toward hope. But life and circumstances can drain away or distort our hope. And that leaves us with the exact opposite, which is hopelessness. But to know and to understand genuine hope, we have to expose the counterfeit of it. Real genuine hope is a gift from God. So that means Satan will have a cheap imitation as well. Let me tell you about that imitation. For some people, hope is just a fantasy. It's a far-fetched belief based on absolutely nothing, that something good will happen to solve their problems. People say, I hope I win the lottery so I can solve my financial problems. They hope their son's football skills will make him a first-round NFL draft pick. They hope that forwarding a chain letter or a chain email will result in a change in their bad luck. They hope in things that are not grounded in reality. They hope in things that are unrealistic. For some people, hope is an escape from personal responsibility. How many times has someone asked you if you could do something and instead of saying no, you've said, I hope so. And what do we really mean when we say that? We mean don't get your hopes up. It's probably not going to happen, right? Well, hope that is detached from responsibility it can sound like this. I hope my marriage gets better. I hope my kid does better in school. I hope I can lose weight. I hope I can get in better shape. These aren't wrong desires, but they are hopes with no strategy, with no plan, with no responsibility, which makes them wishes. And there's no pixie dust to suddenly make any of these things happen on their own. I remember I was talking one time to a supervisor years ago, a high-level supervisor, and he was asking me about my preparations for something, and, and I made the mistake of saying, I hope so. And he quickly corrected me with a phrase I'll never forget. He said, hope is not a strategy. It's not. In other words, don't neglect your responsibility to plan, to work, and to act, and, 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 and then hide behind the word hope. If we merely hope for outcomes, what we've attached ourselves to is a false hope. <clears throat> for some people, hope is a misplaced confidence. My parents used to tell me, have you ever heard these, don't put all your eggs in one basket? 
Or what about this one? Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Pretty good wisdom. It, it means don't put too much confidence in one person or one plan to be the total answer that you need. Have a backup plan. Don't invest all your retirement in one stock. Don't sink your life savings in one business venture. Don't take all your advice from one person. All too often, people place their hopes squarely on a person or a plan that is incapable of delivering, and that is misplaced hope. So there are counterfeits out there. But is that all hope really is? Is that all it can be, a, a fantasy, an escape from responsibility, a confidence in a person or a plan that's going to let us down? Non-Christian hope is full of uncertainty. It's, it's nothing more than a gamble of sorts. I sure hope I never have to go through that. I sure hope I never have a heart attack. I sure hope I don't get cancer. That kind of hope is just a wish. It's, it's a baseless desire. If that's all hope is in this world, then it's no wonder that the world feels hopeless. But this morning, I, I want to tell you about a hope that's different, a hope that has real substance. Christian hope is different. It's altogether different. Christian hope sustains in the midst of difficulties. For hope is born out of confidence, belief, and trust in God. Living in this hope does not exempt us from life's circumstances. Have any of you experienced some of life's circumstances? You may be right now. But this hope does diminish the power of these difficulties to define our lives and to steal our joy. The Bible tells us what real hope is. Hope is so important and so interwoven to the Christian faith that God's Word talks extensively on this topic. And I want to share with you this morning three very simple but important thoughts that the Bible gives us about what real hope is. Here's the first one. Hope is a promise. Hope is a promise. In the Old Testament, a young prophet by the name of Jeremiah recorded God's instruction to a group of people who were going through a great deal of difficulty. And despite their difficulty, God spoke to them lovingly. If you'll put that scripture up, Jeremiah 29, 11, a lot of you know this by heart. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Hope is a loving promise from God who cares about us and has a good plan for our lives. He has a plan for every one of us. While that plan does not exclude us from difficulty, it does include the building of our character so that we can live a life filled with purpose and joy. It includes abundance. Perhaps not in material or, or financial things that pass away, but it includes abundance in spiritual things that never pass away. It includes inner peace to walk through any adversity and to know that God walks beside you, bearing your burden, giving you strength. God's plan in, promises a genuine hope that we can depend on. Our hope is based not on uncertainty like the world, but it's based on certainty. 
Our hope is grounded in God's Word that says Jesus is God's Son sent into the world to save us from our sins. Our hope is based on the promise of John 3.16 that all who believe in Him will be saved through Him. And also Romans 10.9 which says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Our hope is based on the truth of Christ's suffering on our behalf and His death and His resurrection on the third day. Our hope is based on the promise that all who believe on Him will themselves one day be raised from the dead. Jesus said in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Our hope is based on the promise that one day He's going to come again and we're going to enjoy heaven with Him in a glory such as no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. This is not just any hope. This is the blessed hope. Those are the promises that we as God's children are the recipients of. Not vague or uncertain, but clear and compelling promises. That is the hope offered to us. We are promised a Savior and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for us. That is the hope offered to us in which we may now today be greatly encouraged. So hope is a promise and it's a promise God will keep. Here's a second thought for you today. Hope is a possession. It's a possession. The world's definition of hope is much more it's a positive mental attitude or an optimistic outlook on life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd rather be around you if you're positive or optimistic than negative. Okay? But just being positive, just being optimistic is not the same thing as having hope. The Bible tells us that hope is something we can possess. Let's look at Hebrews 6.19. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. An anchor is... An anchor belongs to a ship or a boat. Some of you have sailed. You've got a boat. You know what an anchor is. It's a heavy chunk of iron, often in the shape of a double hook, which is let down to the bottom of the sea to hook into whatever is there on the seafloor to give stability to the ship. In rough and stormy weather, a ship is at the mercy of the wind and the sea. Isn't that a picture of our lives at times? when we're going through a difficult time, when we're going through a storm, we, we feel, you know, not solid ground underneath us. We feel water underneath us and we feel wind blowing us in seemingly every direction. That, that's a very dangerous position to be in because a ship can be blown onto the rocks or onto the shore or the sandbar or anywhere else without an anchor. So the anchor is lowered to latch the ship to the bottom of the sea to something solid so that it can have stability. So the verse we read in Hebrews says, Our hope is an anchor for the soul. 
firm and secure. Our anchor reaches not to the bottom of the sea, but to somewhere better. It reaches past the veil, behind the curtain, into the very sanctuary of God, which, by the way, is going nowhere. It's going nowhere. That's where the anchor goes. That sanctuary is heaven itself, where Christ has gone and He is seated at the right hand of God. He is there as the one who's gone ahead of us, and our anchor is attached to Him. His having gone before us assures us that we will follow. He is the first fruits. We will be part of the harvest to come. Our hope is anchored. It is hooked into the one who has gone ahead of us on our behalf. Think about what an anchor does. It holds a ship in place. A vessel on the water faces high waves and strong winds, so the anchor is essential in a time of storm. And that's what we need in the storms of our lives. In those moments, we feel like we have nothing to hold on to. Maybe, maybe you've gone through a storm or maybe you're going through a storm, a tragic loss that you've suffered or health issues or financial setbacks or broken relationships in your life. Maybe you're going through a storm like that today. You, you have an anchor, not just a, not just a theory of hope, but you have an anchor that's hooked into the one who will never leave you or forsake you. That hope is in Jesus. And it is a solid possession. Our anchor is a solid possession that we can hold on to, not a weak or flimsy emotion with no substance. It is a substantial possession that will sustain us. I'll never forget, and Kelly will remember this, we, we had a man in our church, he's in heaven now, his name John Sweeney. And, and John was a, just a terrific uh, man of God, loved the Lord, served him, went on mission trips with our church for many, many years, and just a real servant of people. And John uh, contracted cancer and became very sick, continued to serve God, even went on missions trips, you know, up very close to the end of his life. He was just determined he wasn't going to let that illness uh, define him or keep him from doing what he loved to do for the Lord. John had a beautiful singing voice, and he latched onto a song during that sickness. And a lot of you have heard the song. It's called The Anchor Holds. And, and I can remember many, many times he'd get up on a Sunday night in our church and he would sing that song. And it, it was encouragement for his soul, but also for us. And I remember he sang it just a couple of weeks before he died. Now look, John trusted God for his healing. And we, we believe in divine healing. And we prayed and, and gave everything we had to, to see God heal him. And in the end, John went to heaven and he was healed through entering the Lord's presence sooner than we were ready to let go of him. But I'll, I, will, I will always associate my memories of him with that song, which was much more than a song to him. It was a firm inner belief that even when the storms of life are blowing against you, there's an anchor that holds you. And that is the hope that we talked about here in Hebrews our hope, it's not based on our bank account. It's not based on a government program. It's not based on which party holds the White House. I'm not telling you don't vote, but don't put your hope there. 
It's not based on the job you do or the things you own or, or how much is in your retirement fund. All of these things are temporal. They will all pass away one day. They will all get consumed. They will get used up, spent, burned up, or blown away by the wind. <clears throat> and then what will you be left with? Hope that is centered in, in, in one thing is going to get us through. And that's my third point today. Hope. We said that, that hope is a possession. Hope is also a person. It's Jesus Christ. Our hope is a person. That kind of hope is not driven by guarantees of, about what lies ahead, but it's driven by our personal relationship with a God that we know to be completely trustworthy. Re recently, our family uh, took, a, took a short trip, and we were, uh, we were staying in a hotel for a few days uh, out of town. And I, I, was, I was away with the kids. We were doing an activity, and Kelly stayed back in the room, and she was just spending time with Jesus, just studying and reading and praying. And um, a knock came on the door. The housekeeper, you know, needed to come into the room and do the job that, that she's paid to do. And so Kelly let her in and said, you won't be any bother to me. Just go ahead and do what you need to do. And I'm just going to sit right here and just continue to read. Just, just do your work. So just so happened Kelly had a book that she had out. And, and the book had Jesus in the title of the book. And the housekeeper uh, noticed it. And her name was uh, Renato. She was from Brazil. And she opened up a conversation and, and, and asked some questions. And soon it became a, really a deep time of ministry, a divine appointment that God provided because of a book <laughs> and, and Jesus' name on that book. Um, Kelly had the opportunity to share with her and to bless her, to minister to her. This lady opened up about her difficulties and her fears and things that were happening in her life that were very, very challenging for her. And Kelly had the opportunity to pray with her and minister to her. And, and we were there for a few days. So, you know, we got to see her every day after that. And, and you could just see a change in her countenance as she began to understand that there was real hope for her life. And that hope, as we reflected on that experience... What, what triggered all of that was her seeing the name Jesus. Well, folks, it, if people see Jesus in us, it attracts them to, to the Jesus that lives in our lives. It attracts them to the hope that is present and the joy that is present. Everything that you and I hope for is wrapped up in Jesus. He is the power who works now to transform our lives and to redeem them with purpose and joy. He is the one who will in the future invite us into eternal life in his presence. I'm going to ask if our musicians would, would come. We want to be sensitive to the Lord and, as we close today and just have an opportunity to minister as the Lord would direct we, we have this hope, Hebrews says, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let the winds blow. Let the waves surge. 
Let the questions fly. Let the threats come. Let the world speed forward. We know this. We have an anchor. We have a hope. We have a stability here and now and eternally guaranteed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. In those moments when we are tempted to feel hopeless, we don't have to go looking for a program or an ideology. We just have to call on the name of a person. Not just any, but Jesus, who is our hope. Are you thankful for that today? I'm going to ask you if you would. Let, let's close our eyes. And um, we're just going to have a time of responding to the Lord now. In just a moment, I'll ask you to stand. But for right now, I'm just going to ask you to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. As I prepared this message and I asked the Holy Spirit how to direct our response to God's Word, I felt the prompting to pray for three different types of people who may be in the room this morning. First, I want to speak to those of you who you just aren't sure about where things stand with God. You, you aren't sure you have the hope of Jesus living on the inside of you today. You haven't put your trust in Him. And today, you know, you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, calling you, pulling you, prompting you. If you feel that today, I promise you that is the work of the Holy Spirit drawing you toward Him. So with every eye closed, before I move forward in this altar call, I, I want to ask you, this is the most important question I'll ask today. If, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, if you don't know that that hope lives in you, today I want the opportunity to pray with you and agree with you and for you to follow Jesus, to put your trust in Him. If that's you today, don't be embarrassed and don't be afraid. Don't be concerned about what anyone else here thinks. Every eye is closed. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to know to agree with you and pray today. Would you raise your hand where only I can see it right now? If you want to put your trust in Jesus Christ to follow Him, to put your hope in Him, would you just lift your hand up long enough for me to see it? And we can pray with you. We can pray for you today. I'm looking all over the room. Is there, is there one here today who says, I, I need to put my hope in Him? Is there one? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, stir their heart if they're in this room right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There are also those here today, and I think there are a good number of you. You love Jesus. You have a relationship with Jesus. But through the difficulty of life's circumstances, you've, you've lost some of that hope. Some of that joy has gotten taken away. And, and you're, you're dealing with some fear. You're dealing with some uncertainty. Um, your, your hope is at a low point. And you want God to just renew that hope in you today. You know, the very first scripture that I read today was Zechariah 9, 12. 
And the first word of that scripture was the word return. Return, you prisoners of hope. You know what that tells me? That tells me that at some point, all of us who are followers of Christ, we hit some low points in our life. We hit some difficulties. We feel the, the joy and the hope being drained out of us. And, and God calls us because He loves us. He calls us to return to that hope. So today, we want you to be encouraged if that's you. We want you to be renewed today if that's you. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I need, I need hope. I need hope renewed in me. I, I need a fresh touch of His joy today. I just want God to work in me. Thank you. Who else today? I need God to stir His hope, fresh hope. Bring it alive in me today. Who else today would say, that's me? Thank you. Who else today? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God wants to. He longs to. He sees where there's discouragement. He sees where we've been through struggles and battles. And He wants to renew our hope today in Him. Because He's got plans for us. He's got things He wants to accomplish through us. He doesn't want us to be on the sidelines. So if that's you today, is there anyone else? We've seen several hands go up. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I want to I wanna speak to one other group today. And I, I think most of this room knows someone whose life is empty of the real hope that Jesus gives. I want you right now, think of who, that, who is that neighbor? Who is that coworker? Who is that person in your life that they're struggling, they're in bondage, they can't seem to break out of it, they try to put on a show, but you know that their life is really empty on the inside. And you would be willing to say, Lord, I will be a carrier of your hope. I'll be a carrier. You, you've blessed me. You put your hope inside of me. I'm willing to share that. I'm willing to take it into places and into interactions with people. Just like that hotel room. There's circumstances in your life this week that God wants to deliver hope through you to someone that you come in contact with. You don't have to be an ordained minister to give hope to somebody. All you got to be is a believer who has some hope to give. So if that's you today, would you, would you, let's do this. If that's you today, would you stand? I think a lot of us need to stand right now. You'll stand and say, I've got some hope and I'm willing to share it. I'm willing to give it today. I'm willing to dispense it to other people. I'm not, God didn't give me hope to just hold on to it and feel good. He gave me hope to share to a hopeless and dying world that's all around here. I believe this church is going to be known as a church where there's hope. There, there's an excess of hope. There's an abundance of hope that people who are hopeless can walk through the door and though they can't define what it is that they feel, that thing that they feel is hope. They don't understand it. They can't articulate it. But they walk in the doors of this church and they feel a sense of hope. They feel like things, things are going to be okay. There's something better for me. God does love me. God does have a plan for my life. 
So today, I'm just going to ask you, whether you responded to the first, the second, or the third call today, I want you to come and let's pray. Let's pray. Would, would you come this morning as they begin to sing? And Kelly, if you'll pray with me and any other folks who minister in the altars, come and pray and let's join those who are coming forward today. Thank you, Jesus. Boundless grace, the God of Israel. 